Hi, I'm Meredith. And I'm Katie. And you're listening to I'm Not Scared, You're Scared. A horror movie podcast. If you are a fan of the show, please like and follow us on iTunes and Spotify and review us. It'll help spread the word. Also, you can follow us on Instagram at I'm Not Scared, You're Scared or email us at I'm Not Scared, You're Scared at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. We're here to talk about Insidious Chapter 3 from 2015. I sound like the movie phone guy. That's right. <laughs> for Insidious, press number two. Yeah, like a career, un, you know, like I had so many avenues for making money. I should have just done that instead Absolutely. of with my shrill little mouth voice that I have. <laughs> it, it's really effective like, on uh, small children in a classroom. I know, right? Um, you tell them to stop being Rudy Tootie. <laughs> be Rudy Tootie. Yeah, I have kind of a scratchy throat, so sorry in advance for sounding a little bit I mean, janky. maybe people will be into it. It'll be like that episode of Friends where Phoebe gets sick and she gets really into her new throaty singing voice. And she's like, hello. And she's like, I sound so hot. And it's like hacking away. Yeah, yeah. Well, so many possibilities. Okay, um... So, Insidious Chapter 3 came out in 2015, but before we dive into that... I have to know what is new with Meredith. Oh, what's new with me? Um, I've just been... I, I got in... Well, okay. So, I realize I need reading glasses. Oh. So... That's um, charming. Whatever. So, <laughs> <laughs> one of my parents, my tiki parents, gave me a book called, I think, Summer of Night? Uh, yeah, Summer of Night. And she got it for me, I think. Did she get yeah. it in large print? No, that's the problem. So <laughs> she gave it to me for my birthday. And she said, Stephen King said it was delightfully creepy and <gasps> off-putting and, and, you know. Bring it on. Like, you know, full full recommendation from Stephen King. So she's like, if Stephen King's recommending something and saying it creeped him out, I'm going to buy that book. <laughs> so she got me a copy as well. And she's like, I got this for you. I thought you'd like it. Happy birthday. So I started trying to read it that over um, ski week break. And I was like, I can't see. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to the and doctor. And also my hip aches. I can't, I can't see. So I, um, I got my reading glasses. I'm, you know, I turned 40, need raining glasses, got my first mammogram. Yeah, no, it's all, it's all <clears throat> happening real fast. But interestingly, I also went to my audiology appointment, my first ever in my adult life, because I have this tinnitus ringing in my ears. Mm -hmm. And it turns out in my right ear, I have moderate to severe hearing loss. What the hell? Yeah. So I'm going to get like an MRI to see if there's like a tumor on my nerves or something. Jesus. Uh, so I was like, well, that explains why I was like, what? What? Like all the time. And we just thought you were annoying. I just, you just thought I was ignoring you. Yeah. Basically. Or we thought you were real aloof. <laughs> I'm very bad at ear hustling. I'm like, I can't. It all sounds like mumbling to me anyway. So. <laughs> Nobody has any good stories. I'm like, who cares? Well, me like a little bit, but whatever. <laughs> well, hopefully it's not a tumor, but uh, a beneficial thing to have identified so that you can maybe improve your living conditions. Sure. Yeah. So I also have like a stipend for through my health insurance for a hearing aid if it were to get to that. Mm -hmm. But it's just down the road, something I would figure out. But like it, it made a lot of sense because I was like, oh, that's why I'm like, what? what? Or like I'm doing reading assessments and I have to go on my other side. Uh -huh. But I never really put it together because right. my left ear makes up for like it makes up for a lot of like me not catching stuff. Mm -hmm. 
So I was like, oh, that's that's really fun. <laughs> so I asked Victor, my fiance, I'm like, are you sure you want to? I need reading glasses. I need my mammogram. I'm an old ass bitch. I can't, I can't, <laughs> I'm deaf in one ear. I can't hear you. He's like, no, no, I already asked you, so it's done. <laughs> it's too late. I'll just too wait late. for you to die. <laughs> too late. I know. So that's what's new with me. Just, you know, flying apart. Oh, yeah. As one does mm-hmm. when they turn 40, apparently. Oh, my so God. So what's new with you? Well, it's kind of funny because on our last episode, you know, we like had pretty much a, a downer of a what's new, like where I opened with difficult parenting challenges and you closed with the loss of your colleague. And yeah. now we've opened with your, you know, unfortunate medical diagnosis. And uh, yesterday my dog died. <laughs> this is just such a delightful <laughs> treat. So um, all, the, all the listeners are like, well, yeah, this they're is like, you know, it, it was shit. good for a while. <laughs> These, I don't these, know what these, bra- these old death bras. <laughs> are... Sorry, um, I'm lumping you in with my deafness. You're that's not... fine. That's fine. These old um, bras are deaf. You know, kind of a bummer. Sorry, yeah, we're really, yeah, really know, doing like, things life down. Can't all be amazing, fun, whatever. It's just like it's, yeah. sometimes it's shitty, and that's we're, just we're life. not going to try and shine our listeners on. We're gonna we're gonna be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. But, got, my, um, got my boobs squished yesterday. You're do- you're dog died i'm sorry yeah yeah he had cancer um we'd already had one procedure on him to remove a, an external tumor um and their uh tests on that showed that um it, the cancerous cells were not completely removed so it was still you know in him and he started developing a new tumor in the same spot and then he started experiencing a lot of swelling in his glands and everything around his throat um, to the point where, you know, his whole face and throat area was swollen and he couldn't really swallow or drink or eat anymore. Oh, poor um, baby. Yeah. And oh. so he um, we had he was put to sleep yesterday um, and he, we, he had a vet appointment and we knew like 99 percent sure that that vet appointment, the vet's diagnosis was going to be. Yep. That's this is like it. That's the. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we when I left for school and I told my husband, you know, let, let me know how it goes. Let me know what happens. Um, and I knew that the appointment was at like 11 o'clock or whatever. So I'm in like in the middle of a literature lesson and I get a ping on my Apple watch and I look down and it's from him and it's just the emoji of the broken heart. And I was like in the middle of a sentence talking about like Lyndon B. Johnson's voting rights speech. And I'm like, well, shit. <laughs> um, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, sorry. I'm, you know, uh, kind of broken inside. You know, I've had a, you know, I've lost both my parents and all three of my grandparents and, you know, some cousins and aunts and uncles and, you know, plenty, every, every sure, pet, sure. you know, from, from top to bottom um, over my life. And I don't, I'm just numb. I understand. So, um, well, we relate to each other a lot in that way. Yeah. We're like, everyone around us is like sobbing and we're like, we're like, I deflect using your humor. Yeah. I'm so funny. Ha ha ha. And usually it, it doesn't bother me because it's my loss. And so, sure. yeah. you know, it doesn't matter how to what extent I'm feeling it. But in this case, I did feel kind of bad because my husband and my kids were really, really upset and really yeah. sad. And yeah, I yeah. felt like the fact that I wasn't feeling what they were feeling made me less able to be a comfort to them. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, you know, feel great about that. I felt like I wasn't doing a very good job of, of caring for them um, while they were struggling with the thing because I just I wasn't I wasn't feeling it myself. Sure. Sure. I find that like sometimes when my kids are feeling something really strongly, mm-hmm. like my care for them and them feeling makes me feel more 
I guess, where I'm like, oh, like them being yeah. more than my own feelings. Than your own experiences, right? yeah. Well, I don't no, know if that makes sense, but that's just... It does, and I think, I like, when I, um, you know, saw the, you know, tragic thing I was talking about last time, you know, included my son's first breakup, and it was his first love. They were together for a year and a half. You know, they're only 16. It was really difficult for him, and while I was, like, going through it with him, like, I was crying, too. Yeah. You know, because he was he was hurting so badly. Because you feel, like, their grief more. I think yeah. it... it it's magnified when you feel like their grief yeah. more than your own. Just like when you come from this po- part, you know, like you experience things differently. And I can relate to you a yeah. lot in that. But yeah, with well, this I'm case, sorry, I was though. just like, you know, it happens. But some of yeah. my students made like really, really sweet condolence cards and everything. And that kind of made me feel even guiltier that I, they were like, we're uh, we're so sorry for your loss and blah, blah, blah. One of them wrote, um, what did she write? She's like, we think it's unacceptable that you had to be at school while your dog was being put down. <laughs> and you're like, I know. I'm like, you're absolutely right. Go talk right. to the principal about that. She's gotten the go- day off. I need to leave. Yeah. Goodbye. Teach Good. yourselves. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm done with you. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully our next episode, we can, you know, we'll be in a better place yeah. and we can have a little bit more of an upbeat what's sure. new segment i mean it'll be like close to summer we'll be done yeah, with we'll the year we'll be feeling pretty good and... about some things yeah i hope so but um for now let's yeah. just divert all of this angst <laughs> into a truly terrifying movie wait but first wait what did you get stuff for like parent te- like teacher appreciation so like do they, not, do, do they not um, do that at your ours we I don't know why our school declared next week Teacher Appreciation Week. Okay. And it's okay. also weird because we have something called Catholic Schools Week that is something the Archdiocese celebrates that's in, I think it's like January or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and on during that week, there's Parent Appreciation Day and Student Appreciation Day and Faculty Appreciation Day. And so there's kind of a Teacher Appreciation Day built into Catholic Schools Week. So we already have that. Yeah. And yeah. then like last Two weeks ago, Tuesday was like National Teacher Appreciation Day, but then this week was like Teacher Appreciation Week. I just don't understand. And yeah. I was saying to my husband, I'm like, I read somewhere that if you have an appreciation day, it means you're not paid enough. Yep. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but no, so I, I mean, I've gotten, I got some flowers today. I got a couple cards already, but the um, majority of appreciation that I expect that I'll see will be next week. Okay. Just, yeah, how about you? just curious. Oh, my, my like class and, and family, they're just lovely. And they, I, they gave me cards and flowers and little handmade things and uh, a new document camera and a really, Ooh. really nice gift card to um, refresh that where I go get my pedicures. And oh, stuff. yeah, yeah. And it, I was like, oh, my gosh. And just like school supplies. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, you know, they went above and beyond. And it was not that I'm like, oh, I need things to feel value. But yeah. it was just like really nice gestures and really nice words that were give, like accompanied a lot of things or not. And yeah. I was like, oh, this, you know, it was really uplifting. I mean, after like feeling that loss with our faculty member. Right. right and, I, and I was like, all of us collectively have been kind of bummed. But so it's nice to get like a little bit of like, we appreciate you uplifting. and we value you. So yeah. we're like, it was kind of nice to have that like sigh and oh, thanks. And, yeah. you know, like, you know, it just felt it felt really nice. So. Anyway, I just was wondering how yours went, but it's next week, so yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But like, I'm, I was my, you know, the love languages and everything. My my love language is, you know, words of affirmation. And so, like for me, the things that I've gotten that mean the most to me have been like, you know, when kids actually like write a message and it's like 
really, it's so earnest when they're, I mean, my students aren't as little as yours, but like Mm -hmm. the things that they say when they say like kind and appreciative things about what you mean to them, I'm like, keep, keep your gift cards. Like this is priceless. Yeah. I have a lot of drawings of me with like my curly hair and like they're all stick figures Mm because they're five years old and. It's really cute because they're like, you're my favorite teacher. I'm like, I think I'm the only teacher you've ever had, but I'll take it. (laughs) Anyway, it's very sweet. So Um, anyway, I'll. Well, thanks for lifting things up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Let's not just be all bummers. I got a freaking document camera, people. I'm very excited. (laughs) She's jacked up. I'm jacked up. Okay. So I did the chapter three insidious um recap and i have not actually even looked at this since i wrote it so this, this should be a, few a years, wild ride few years i'm tripping two weeks ago um but there's a caption in the before the movie even begins it says a few years before the lambert haunting that was from chapter one and two yeah what i read was that this one is supposed to be set in 2007 and the lambert um, movies were set in 2010 Right, right. Yeah. So it's a few years earlier. Um, so a young girl shows up at a house and a woman answers Elise and the girl is Quinn. And she asks her for a reading and gushes over her um, Elise's abilities that she's heard about. Elise tells her that she doesn't do readings anymore. Um, Quinn does kind of, she sort of says like, well, I've come from pretty far. So Elise feels bad and lets her um, come on in. She's like, well, come on in. And so then Elise asks Quinn, she's like, well, why did you come here for a reading? What's what's going on? And because um, I I think from the first two movies, you get the feeling that Elise is just very like she's just a very kind person. Yeah, she's yeah. very caring. Mm-hmm. So she sees this girl who's by herself, who's traveled from like across L.A. Mm-hmm. and and lets her come in. And she says, like, um, she lets Elise know she she wants to contact her mother she tells Elise that she thinks her mother is around. She um, stuff like sounds wakes her up. Uh, she, stuff is moved around that she ha- um, her room, and so Elise says to her like, uh, "I I think you have tried to contact your mother, isn't that right?" And um, Quinn kind of admits that she has. So Elise decides to do um, you know help her and do a reading. So she calls out to Lily Brenner, who's Quinn's mom. Elise comes into co- into contact with an entity that is not her mom, and she says, "You need to go away to this entity." She's pretty shaken up, and, and she ends the reading, and she tells gives Quinn a warning. She says, "Be careful when you call out because not all of." You know, because all call of the dead out to hear one you. of the dead, all the dead can hear you. Right. And maybe not necessarily who you're trying to contact. Right. Right. So then later that evening, Quinn's in her room and she calls out to the dead. She says, are you there? And she doesn't get a response. But in the next morning, um, you see Quinn's family life. She has to deal with, you know, um, her getting her brother to school and her dad, who's pretty overworked. Is it Dermot Mulroney? Or? Yeah, Dermot Mulroney. I always get Dylan McDermott and Dermot Mulroney yeah, mixed I, yeah, up. Yeah, same thing. Like, yeah. not the, you don't mix the men up, but the no, names no, are just, just the names, right? weird mashups. So I, I love him a lot. And yeah, he's he, great. Um, I think he's the um, super for the apartments. Or the um, yeah, well, he's a contractor of some kind. But yeah, I think among those things, he's responsible for some stuff at, like the, at the building. repairs and stuff. So her dad's working really hard. He's overwhelmed since his um, wife has passed away. And so Quinn, it, you know, retreats to her room after waking up her brother and, and tries to go over some lines to memorize before school. Her dad calls her um, 
selfish when he realizes that her little brother's not getting ready. And he's like, I just really need you to pitch in. You're being selfish. And um, Quinn's kind of like, you're kind of being a jerk. And, you know, um, her goal is sort of to get out of there. Yeah. She wants to go to theater school. Theater school. So on... um, the way out, Quinn runs into Hector, one of their neighbors, and she seems to have a little crush, a little meet cute crush on Hector, and he's a neighbor. Um, but this is important for later. So Quinn then skips school and she auditions for a theater school. She asks her mom for help as she's about to go on stage, and she sees someone in the shadows waving at her. She ends up messing up her lines, um, and so she's a little bit upset later uh, after. I said, after she chokes, she tells her best friend that she, um, they're just sitting, eating, like sitting on the curb. It's nighttime. And she's like telling her friend, I I hate my dad. He ruins everything. She's really upset. And then she stands up uh, to leave and sees that same entity from the theater before waving at her in the street. And suddenly Quinn is hit by a car and she dies. But then she is re um, resuscitated. So then, but you see her, she's in the further and she comes face to face with that entity and it has, he has a breathing mask on and he looks really fucking terrifying actually. Yeah. When it, when, um, you see his kind of outline in the first two times you see him, like you can tell he's kind of like in a hospital gown type mm-hmm. thing. Um, but you don't see him up close. Like those are both from a distance. And you only hear his raspy breathing, which yeah. is just so... And then when she, you know, it's like a little jump scare in the further where she like turns and he's like right there. So she can see his face up close and Mm -hmm. he, yeah, he has an oxygen mask. Yeah. And he's awful and scary. So (laughs) hold on. I need a sip of water. Speaking of, (laughs) I actually have, um, one of the pieces of trivia that I, um, came across was about that character, um, where Lee Winnell, which we, he's the one we talked about last time that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he actually wrote, directed and acted in this one, um, as well as some of the other movies he's working on, but he told, um, the casting department that he wanted. So the man who can't breathe is the name of this like kind of evil entity, Mm -hmm. um, that he wanted that character to look like the sloth victim from seven, Oh, I don't really. Oh, no, I do remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, And so they ended up casting the same actor Mm. to play the man who can't breathe as played the sloth character in seven. That's a great trivia. Yeah. Well, I say that I love seven, but like I can't stand watching it, honestly. I know. It's it's such. So. Yeah. Well, and we've had it suggested to do an episode on, but it's just and like, yeah, I for some something as upsetting as it is, I can't believe I've watched it as many times as I have. And every time I watch it, I just feel awful. Yeah, I know. I've watched it at least 10 times. And but it's just it's it's so well done, but it's so bad. Yeah. And like gives me a stomach ache every time. I'm like, yeah, you're just like, I just I don't I don't even want to live anymore. This is (laughs) so not okay. (laughs) Well, that's interesting because he is uh, awful and scary. Really scary. So later Quinn's recovering in the hospital. She has two broken legs and she tells her dad about a waving man. And her dad's like, what What are you talking about? You know, just get some rest. He's like, who was hitting on you? What? what? (laughs) Quinn then comes home and encounters an elderly woman in the lobby of the apartment. She, I think she has like Alzheimer's or dementia or something. Yeah, her, she her, and her husband are neighbors of theirs mm-hmm. as well. And you can tell that she's, she's, she's sort yeah, of, yeah, yeah, she's not very all, all together there. And her husband is her caretaker. She tells Quinn that the man who can't breathe that lives in the vents 
or there is a man who can't breathe and he lives in the vents and he was saying her name and he is upstairs right yeah. now uh-huh. in your bedroom and she's like he is in your room now and Quinn and just like looks, get me out of here I know Quinn's look she looks unsettled she's just like wheelchair bound in her with her casts and it's it looks you know creepy she, she keeps when they take her home and Hector's there and her best friend and they're like here's some balloons welcome home and she keeps like stealing glances at her at her room to see if she can like see anything through the yeah. cracked door so then later the evening Quinn is awakened by a thumping on the ceiling and suddenly the bell her dad had given her whenever she needed help chimes or rings um, and you see, as a viewer, an entity is behind her and breathing in his breathing mask. So you know that something is not, not good. And that's so, a, this is like reminding me of when I was little, I always had to have my bed up against the wall on one side. Because you're like, something's going to get you. Yeah, because she's, you know, I sleep on my side and a lot of people sleep on their side. And so she's turned, you know, facing in one direction and we're looking at her face. And then behind her on the far side of her bed is the outline of this person standing behind there. Behind the... Uh, curtain yeah too. it's like a little um yeah doily looking it's like a sheer kind yes. of yes yeah yeah so yeah it's freaking creepy so <laughs> so then later wait hold on let me look here uh look at, oh okay here we are across town ellie elise is bummed out and sleeping with her husband's sweater and she's startled awake and she takes her um, book of seeing that she has next to her bed and writes down the name Quinn Brennan. So then the next morning, um, Quinn is at her place and she's, um, oh wait, not the next morning, the next, I think the next evening or next day, something like that. She's knocking on the wall and in a flirty way with um, her, um, with Hector. Is it Hector? Yeah. Yeah, Hector. I I wrote an Ernesto, but is that the dad? Oh, maybe. Yeah, okay. maybe. So she texts him and says, um, she's like, hey, you know, sorry if I woke you up. And he's like, well, I'm not home. And she's like, wait, what the fuck? She's like, oh. Because they'd done the little like knock, knock, do, do, knock, do, do, knock. Do. And then he yeah, was like, knock, haircut. knock. And she's like, oh, it's all flirty. Right. So it's a following evening, I want to say. Yeah. So then with some like trepidation, she knocks on the wall a few more times. Nothing happens. She turns off the light and goes to bed. And then the entity reaches down and cracks the ceiling or yeah you see him like reaching his hand yeah you see the arm come down and grab her and so then obviously she like sits up wildly and there's a crack on the ceiling yeah the ceiling's Mm -hmm. all messed up so she calls her dad and her dad like checks on the apartment and um or like he he goes up he comes in sees the crack so it's not her imagination he goes up to the apartment above them and He's there. It's empty, but there are like tar-like footprints lit left on the floor in his, in the apartment. Above. Yeah. So, um, the next morning, Quinn tells her dad that, um, you know, she thinks the knocking was her mother. Mm-hmm. She confronts her dad. She's like, "You never talk about her." Um, you know, she's she's really kind of upset that he she she thinks he hasn't like properly grieved and they he doesn't ever address her mom and she's really upset about this because she misses her mom a lot and Mm -hmm. and her dad's like you know what are you talking about you know and anyway so it's completely normal that the floor or the ceiling cracked and like left a bunch of dust (laughs) whatever so then later elise decides to reach out to lilith brenner she tells her quinn is in need of help the raspy um what was his 
the demon? Ma- the man that can't breathe? The man can't, that can't breathe. He shows up at this point. And Elise finds the tar footprints in her own home. Oh my God, and I she, love that part. Oh, so crazy. So, And she discovered that her previously locked reading room is unlocked and the door is open. So she goes down. She takes her flashlight. She's super brave. Yeah. Um, as she goes down, she's like, I'm not afraid of you. And she's following these tar footprints as it walks up the seal up the wall on right. the side, and it comes down and grabs her, and she freaks out and runs out, and it's like slams the door. So maybe she is afraid of it, <laughs> right? So meanwhile, Quinn is video chatting with her best friend, and her best friend sees something white next to Quinn. She's like, "Hey, who's who's that? Is that your brother?" Her? Yeah, and she's like, "What are you talking about?" And then the video chat freezes up, and Quinn sees the entity behind her lacy curtain. It reappears, and he just throws her out of bed. It's so terrifying. It slowly approaches her and shuts the door, and Quinn cannot do a thing because her face is on the floor, and her, her legs, legs are, are freaking broken. <laughs> And her neck is also, like, her neck is messed up on top of her broken legs, too, um, because of this, um, you know, being thrown Thrown out of her bed bed so violently. So, Quinn tells, well, hold on, let me go back. So, the door shuts, she's been thrown, and then she screams, and her dad comes and is like, what's going on? And she's been like, she's like, it threw me out of bed. And her dad's like, what? What are you talking about? You know, and... So then he, she now has to wear a neck brace on top of that, um, her broken legs. So um, at this point, she's sleeping on the couch. Her dad is like, you know, just rest here. And she's like freaked out, doesn't want to sleep in her room. Her dad goes down to the lobby and finds the husband of the lady who's kind of a shut-in who said, like, there's a man talking right, about yeah. you. And he's passed away. And he's really sad. She, she's passed away. Yeah, she's yeah. passed away. So in the next scene, Quinn is sleeping. And she pulls, uh, and the there's a blanket on her head, and it's pulled off. And she realizes that she's on the floor above her and in her wheelchair. And she tries tries to wheel herself back to the elevator to go back to her apartment, but the demon just appears behind her and pushes her into the vacant apartment and just throws her onto the floor. And then suddenly she's on the floor screaming for help, and out um, crawls herself. And it doesn't have a fa- her face or other parts of her body. It's like part of her kind of is crawling towards her. And then at this point, Quinn's like screaming for help. She points out the enemy's footprints when um, her dad, Sean, comes in. He like wakes up and hears her like upstairs. And Yeah, and like, like how fucked up is that? Like your yeah. da- you wake up, your daughter's screaming. You go, she's like, she's... Not Upstairs. even in your apartment. She's on a different floor and she's like, in your How building. How did I get here? Oh my god! What the, what the hell? So he goes up there, and she she's like, "Look, look, he's there!" Like he sees the tar footprints. He follows them and then looks out the window and sees that bro- there's broken glass, and he sees the um, entity on the ground, and he's like, "Oh, he must have like thrown himself out the window." Yeah, it just so, looks like a guy jumped out the window and to right. his death. So she looks out and he appears out the window and tries to pull her out the window, and her dad has to pull her back inside the apartment, which was insane. It yeah. was like the craziest scene. Um, and I was watching that with Victor, and he jumped. He oh was yeah, like, well, yeah. And all of these moments, like in these movies, are paced so perfectly, like the the timing. Because, like, I, I wouldn't necessarily call this a jump scare type movie, even though a lot of the scary moments are startling in that way. Mm-hmm. Because with this one, just the way it just seems like a normal sequence of events, like the camera follows the dad to the window, the dad looks out the window, the camera angle goes down, it shows this body laying on the pavement, mm-hmm. and the dad's like, "Oh, okay," and so 
he leans back in, the camera comes back in, and then, you know, Quinn goes to the edge so that she can look, look over too. and see, and then she's looking over, and you're like, okay, so she is she's going to see the body, and they're like, oh, no, it's right there, it's grabbing her now, and, it's pulling her out. Yeah, that was so intense and, and just and just like the way that those moments are paced mm-hmm. are what like they are startling yeah. but they don't feel like cheap jump scares right and what I really liked I mean I can go into this later but I I thought it was so valuable that her dad was seeing this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not like oh what are you talking about and it's not there yeah you know what I mean so it didn't feel like an it movie for example like when her, their, her the dad didn't see thing. the yeah. adults didn't see it like the dad was like oh my gosh what the what the fuck's going on? But I couldn't so, um, tell with that scene. Like, he saw the man, the body on the ground. Yeah. But did he see the man who can't breathe pulling Quinn? Or did he just think that Quinn was falling out the window? I think he saw something pulling him. Because I can't yeah. remember. Um, He's like, oh, my God. And if, she's like, he, if he, like, and fully like, believes after that point because he saw something. Or if he just thinks, oh, yeah, I saw a body outside the window. But I didn't. I, well, I got the impression he fully believed because yeah. at this point he shows up at Lisa's house, like immediately. Okay. okay. And he's like, we need your help. Right. <laughs> There's some shit going on. So Elise then shares that her husband took his own life. Um, so and then Elise also tells Sean she like she's like, you know, I, I looked for my husband in the further and an entity followed me and he was, you know, threatening her life. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, could you just please come visit Quinn? You know, she's she just needs help. So Elise, being the kind person she is, shows up and she she goes to their house. So then she um, Elise goes in and she wakes Quinn and talks to her. And then she relents and does reading as she does. Right. Because she, she's such a people pleaser. <laughs> <As> she does. <laughs> so then she asks to talk to the demon that has attached itself to Quinn. So in the further, Ellie, El, excuse me, Elise encounters a woman or several women. And then she enters an elevator. One's like shivering. One has her head kind of backwards. Oh, yeah. You think you're looking at the back of her head. And then all of a sudden she pulls her hair apart and it's her face. Yeah. Um, So then she just walks further into the further and (laughs) she discovers a house and an entity in there. And it sings a creepy song, which I forget. Like, oh, man, I meant to look up the song before we recorded. It was Mm -hmm. like, there's no way. It's like, I can't remember the song though, but it's just, you're like, oh, what the hell? And yeah, it's uh, there's no way to know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit, I gotta go. I gotta get out of here. So, any nice concert. Elise is like, we'll see you later. So, (laughs) so an entity I said is there singing a creepy ass song (laughs) pointing. And at this point, the woman in black approaches and starts choking her. And she's like, You're, this is where you die. This is where you die. The the woman in black, the mm-hmm. bride, black bride and bride, black from the, the black. Yes, from chapter from two. Chapter two. So Elise like leaves and she's apologizing. She's apologizing because she's been like uh, like noticeably choked. You're right. And she's like, I can't help Quinn. I'm sorry. So she gets the fuck out of there. So <laughs> at this point, Quinn's little brother tells Sean, she's like, you got to call these dorks in. Uh, <laughs> Listen, Dad, I've been on the internet. (laughs) All these dorks. So in comes Tucker and Specs, who we get to know in the first two movies. Tucker puts a camera on Quinn's forehead and the ghost hunt is on. Yeah, so they have um, like a 
an internet show that they make where they're kind like of, ghost hunting. Kind of like taps. Like, um, yeah. But yeah, because they're basically, because obviously we already said that this takes place before the Lambert, the events in the first two movies. And so this is Tucker and Specs don't know Elise yet. Um, so they're just like these internet guys that go to different places where people report stuff and they have their little homemade stuff and they make their internet show or whatever. And so it's obviously appealing probably only to 13 year old boys like Quinn's brother. Um, but at that point, you know, that's like the only place that they have left to turn for help because, you know, Elise is, you know. She's too threatened. She's, she's like, I've been Yeah, she's like, it's too much. Like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And so they, they go to these two chuckleheads from the web who are like, oh, yeah, we got our cameras and we got our, you know, yeah, our we, what GoPros. We, we can totally help you out. We got a drone. Right. So the ghost hunt is on with these dorks who are like, how much do you know? I don't really know. Anyway, I guess we'll see. So Elise has dinner with a colleague who was from the movie... Um, second movie, the one who used the dice to find. Yeah, what you know. did you write down his name? Because I never wrote down his name. Colleague, colleague, colleague. <laughs> Here, I'll look it up colleague. while you're while you're continue. Um, so then he tells her that you know he's like you know you're stronger than they are because you're alive, and um, which is know. what she says to Josh yeah. in in the first yeah, movie. So she's like you're strong. He's like you're stronger and. And he's trying to kill her because Elise is alive. And oh, Carl. Yeah, Carl. Carl. Yeah. So he's like, you're stronger. You can't, you know, eventually you knew this would catch up on, catch up with you. Like Mm -hmm. you're helping all these people. You're basically fighting all these entities. Eventually. So you're going to get a reputation amongst them. A troublemaker. So (laughs) eventually something's going to happen. And you can't just like stop doing, you can't stop helping people. Yeah. Because you're afraid. Well, yeah, because and that's the point where he brings yeah. up because this is before the adult Josh events happen. But this is after she already helped young Josh. Right. And Carl yeah. was the one that brought her to young Josh. And so he actually in that scene, in that conversation, uses young Josh as an example of why she can't stop. Because right. look what you did for this little boy. You saved this little boy. Yeah, he has his own family and all this um, other yeah. stuff. And, you know, he's, you know, such a good you know, like he's so good at having his picture and... taken. He's a great <laughs> teacher. He stays real late. Cares a lot about his students. <laughs> yeah, he's um, he's great. So anyway, <laughs> so don't quit. So don't quit. So then, at this point, though, all of the um, people are in the living room and the lights are, are turned off. Tucker sees Quinn is up. What? That's what I said in my notes. <laughs> She was asleep and she had her GoPro thing, and then suddenly she was up walking around. Yeah, they could tell from the camera that she's up and moving. Shouldn't be. And they're like, she has two broken legs. Do that. Specs goes to investigate. He does not find her, and then they go into her room and find the camera was off and in the uh, closet. Then she beats all of their asses, beats their asses (laughs) down, and kicks off her plaster cast. Oh my god, that's so crazy. She starts like kicking her cast against the bed frame and and just smashing it. And then her legs were like creaky. Yeah, and then she's trying to walking because the bones are still broken, so when she puts weight on them after the casts are gone, you can hear the like broken bones grinding against each other. So uncool. I know, it's like moaning, munching and Crunching. (laughs) Munching. Munching and crunching. It's like... Yeah, it's like Captain Crunch. Yeah, so 
They go, um, yeah, they, she kicks off her plaster cast. She walks on her crunchy legs. <laughs> she has an exacto knife and she uh, speaks. And the demon's speaking through her and talks to her dad. And, and um, she's like, you're a piece of shit, basically. <laughs> and you're a bad father. And then she tries to take her own life. Specs and Tucker, um, they manage to like get the exacto knife from her. Specs and Tucker tell Sean, they're like, we're not qualified for this. Um <laughs> He's like, you're pretty. He's like, that's an understatement. I know. And he's like, what the hell? I invite you into my home. And this is like, you guys are like, not, you don't know anything. So um, he, he, Sean's like, you need to get out of here. But then at that point, Elise shows up and she's like, well, I think they should stay because we need a few extra bodies here that are like, you know, maybe strong. They're not really, but whatever. So, So then Elise tells Sean that Quinn has lost half of her soul after the accident where they um, resuscitated her. Elise enlists Tucker and Specs to help her. And then um, she says, Specs, will you please write a transcription of what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And Tucker be in charge of filming. So. And and so their team is born. The team is born. So then Elise enters the further and she asks one of the women that she had encountered from before to show her where he lives, this entity. She enters his room and the woman in black attacks her, but she defeats him. She's like, you know, bring it on, bitch. You know, I'm alive. You know, so she's like, I heard your name is Marilyn. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) My colleague, Carl, told me I'm stronger than you. So so then she sees her husband sitting on the bed who she's been trying to make contact with. But it isn't he hold on but it isn't him because he tells her he's like you need to stay and you know how to do this you know i want you to join me here so all you have to do is kill yourself and she's like and she's "Hmm." like you know i miss him so much but i know my jack jack would never tell me would never tell me to do that so she slashes she's like demon and she slashes (laughs) his face with a razor and then the raspy demon is there and he summons his pet and it's the blind quinn and the, then the circle encourages Quinn to fight the entity. Elise finds a letter from Quinn, or excuse me, for Quinn, from Lily, thanks to that lady that recently, you know, recently died, who um, saw um, this all happen. She, you know, she's yeah, like, it's a kind of like, impl- I don't know if it's implied that because, you know, she's suffering from dementia or whatever it is in, in her old age, that she's um, has a perception that, you know, just normal people, normal functioning brains don't have, but that she, you know, knew about the the man that can't breathe and could, had heard him as well. And then now that she's passed, we find out that her spirit is like helping and participating and helping guide them to the answer, yeah. which is like evidently this letter that Lily Quinn's mom had written to her, but that Quinn hadn't yet found. Yeah. So um, thanks to, you know, Elise got the message from from her and and is able to communicate that. And she's like, you know, and Quinn is then able, with the help of her mother, able to fight this entity. And then at this point, Lily, um, you know, Quinn's mom has arrived and Elise conveys a lot of sappy messages to Quinn. (laughs) She's like, I'm with you forever, but um, she'll never be back on this plane. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was there when she was in the theater. She was mm-hmm. really proud of her, yada, yada. I mean, honestly, it's just not something that I want to think about. Mm-hmm. My mom is can see me all the time. I don't want to no. I'm like, it's that's, that's a, another downside of a dead parent is they really can, <laughs> if you believe that 
can see everything you do all the time. You're like, really? You have nothing better to do? I'm like, no, thank you. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I, I don't need that. I don't need your judgment. Boring. <laughs> so, so Elise, but you know, Quinn's pretty stoked. So, oh whatever. yeah, yeah. Well, she's young. <laughs> she's like, mom, um, watch me <laughs> not do my play correctly. I love you so much. Oh, oh my poor god. Quinn. All right, I'll take that back. I'm being a jerk. So we we kind of both are. So it's then okay. Ellie, um, or excuse me, Elise. So Quinn is fine at this point. She's able to defeat the. I mean, she probably needs her bones reset. Sure, but she's able to defeat the raspy, like can't breathe demon. Yeah, and his he like dissolved into dust, and that was yeah. kind of cool. And she um, refuses the two halves of her soul. Yeah, yeah. So then, you know, all is well with them. And then Elise, Spex, and Tucker decide to collaborate. And in the final scene, Elise sees uh, the demon from the first Insidious mm, movie. The lipstick demon, and she's she's yeah. like getting ready for bed, and suddenly, and her dog Warren, who's named, named after, after the, Warrens. the Warrens, he's growling, and she like, sees the lipstick demon. So yeah, yeah, that was yeah. a really like another one where it was really creatively shot because you know the dog is growling into a dark doorway and so Elise is looking and she can't see anything but the dog sees something and so you're like looking at Elise look down this hallway thinking that whatever is wrong is in the hallway and then the lipstick demon appears over her shoulder just like it did over Josh's shoulder in the first one Um, yeah which is insane so the question is though did you think this is scary absolutely you know I did I think all these movies are scary um, especially the first time when you don't you don't know the story, you don't know what's going to happen. But even after that, um, even after the many times that I've watched this and all the Insidious movies, like I said last time, they still leave me creeped out. Um, they still put me in a space where I'm like looking over my shoulder. I don't I don't want it to be <laughs> I don't want it to be dark. I don't want to go into a dark room. And um, one of the things that this one did so well, um, and I know it, it's one of the things that you love so much is the man that can't breathe. Oh, man. like the actual yeah, he was amazing. bad guy himself, because the lipstick demon, I was well used, but it was but also so funny to me. He he's funny. Me yeah. And it's like you, you always say with the when you reveal something and you see it, it's an entire becomes less scary because I feel like the lipstick demon even that one classic jump scare over Josh's shoulder um you know seeing that it like it looks it looks a little silly like to and maybe it's because it looks so much like Darth Maul to me but (laughs) all of the parts where like you know you see him lurking in the corner of Dalton's room and then like the crackling noises and all of just the hints Mm -hmm. of that demon which I realized very quickly reminds me of just cracking ice yeah, that's what it reminds me of. Yeah, and that's I true. Play, so I was like, "Where do I hear that?" Like, when yeah. you pour a drink over ice. Over and it ice, cracks, yeah. That's what yeah, it that's a, like that's a good link. <laughs> um, yeah, and but then especially later on with the lipstick demon, once Josh is in the further rescuing Dalton, and you see the lipstick demon in his full physical entirety, like he's running and roaring, and you see his hooves and his tail and everything. It starts to be a little comical, mm-hmm. you know. Um, whereas with the man that can't breathe, um, it visually he's he's terrifying. And even when you see him in his physical entirety as like, you know, a, a human man shape, he's not like a weird fawn like the mm-hmm. lipstick demon. Um, he's still scary. Yeah. He, do- he doesn't get less scary the more times you see him, which mm-hmm. is unusual. Yeah, with yeah. with these with anything in a scary movie to like mm-hmm. have that that evil entity reappear and they do like 
you know, let the rope out slowly a little bit because you see him like the first time you see him waving in the theater and then you see him standing in the street waving. It's at a distance. He's just a silhouette. You can't really tell anything. Then you get that really full, like quick flash of his face initially. But they do, like, like I said, let the rope out slowly mm-hmm. before they reveal him fully. But even after they reveal him fully, he's still really scary. Oh, for sure. And I think that that's a big part of what made this, you know, potential like a contender for the scariest or the best movie in the series. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I definitely, I definitely think thought it was scary the first time I saw it. I think it's scary every time I see it. Like, um, it holds up. It holds up. And so, um, I mean, I don't need to ask, but did you think it was scary? It's, I mean, I like the chapter one because it introduces you to this world, Mm -hmm. but chapter three, just scare. It just, to me, it just feels so insanely frightening. Yeah. Because you there's this entity, and I think Elise said he was a human. So it's like, yeah. he is just a very evil person. Yeah. He became just more and more evil and Well, then, then, then now it's kind of like Parker Crane, because Parker Crane was like a killer when he was alive. Yeah. And then he, when he died, like his spirit continued to, you know, just like mess get up people. to hijinks. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then um, I think that part of it was insane was Quinn her just not being able to defend herself really at all her, she was so vulnerable and yeah. with both her legs broken in the wheelchair and I thought it was just so insane when she's asleep on her couch and suddenly she's in the apartment above yeah. or like uh, in the fourth floor whatever wherever she was and she has a blanket on her and suddenly the demon's behind her like pushing her mm-hmm. and he's just so violent towards her which mm-hmm. is it's not it wasn't like a slow burn not really it was like no once he started attacking her it was full force yeah like like he th- when the first time he threw her out of the bed and then when he tried to grab her out the window and yeah. then when, you know, she she was on the other floor and he was pushing the wheelchair. Yeah. So it was just like far more male- malevolent and just so terrifying. And she couldn't defend herself. And she was just like ask, pleading, pleading for help. Mm-hmm. And but I do appreciate that. Like I mentioned before, like the tar footprints, which were insane. Yeah. Him trying to pull her out of the window and her dad like seeing this and be like, oh, what the fuck's going on? was insane and and so just well done but the part that just always stuck with me and and one of the reasons I love this movie so much is the part where she's in the street and waving and you see this weird waving and it's Mm -hmm. so like off-putting and strange and suddenly she's hit by a car yeah and you're like oh shit like I was not expecting that and you know she you see this entity that's pursuing her but I think it's so fun. I think that the comedy relief is really fun. I love the introduction of Tucker and Specs, and then Elise like has her own demons, mm-hmm. you know, personal demons, like metaphorical and real, mm-hmm. that are, um, you know, you see like what motivates her as well. I just really think it's a fun, smart movie, and it didn't seem to me like, oh, a third movie. This can be like a throwaway. Yeah, it seemed like really, really well done. So it it. It's like one of those movies where you feel like the creators weren't in for just a cash grab. It seemed right. like they really cared about the the story and the plot and these characters and and you know and the acting was really great. So. Yeah. Well, the thing that's it. kind of strange about it is that it is in a, in its essence a prequel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting you know the backstory of Elise because you know we had you. 
we've seen, we have to kind of like add together all of these elements that we've gathered about her from these three movies so far in that, you know, she... We know the the youngest we've ever seen her is when she first visited Josh as a child and she's working as a psychic. Like, okay, great. Mm -hmm. But then when we get to this movie, we know that, okay, then some point in the interim, her husband, who she says was also a psychic, Mm -hmm. that he kills himself. And then her efforts to contact him in the further led her to draw the attention of evil spirits. And so she stopped all of her psychic work and she her reading room in her house that we had already seen scene in the earlier movies is like all boarded up yeah um but then in this movie like her you know her desire to help quinn her concern for quinn and carl encouraging her that you know she can't she shouldn't waste her talent that there's so much good that she can do that she gets like back in the game for quinn but in the process meets specs and tucker who seem almost like they kind of save her Right. You know, because she's so at the beginning of this movie, she's not the Elise from the first two movies. She's not happy and pleasant and calm and kind. Like she's she's kind of a shell. She's fearful and she's depressed and she's shut in Mm -hmm. um, and you're just really not in a good place at all. Um, And so it kind of shows that like, oh, well. Um, read like claiming her her talent and then teaming up and having these little these proteges these almost like sons for her yeah. in Specs and Tucker and the bond that they get when they decide to start doing these things as a team like mm-hmm. kind of bring her back to life so yeah. that then when we see her again the next time in the first Insidious movie she is this like calm sweet wonderful lovely woman that is just going around helping people even though it's this very dangerous thing that she's doing and she she knows it too. Yeah, so. absolutely. She knows she's putting herself at risk, and eventually, you know, it gets her killed. You know, she, yeah. yeah. Um, so, like I said, this is it. Doesn't you don't look at it as a prequel. You look at it as the third movie, mm-hmm. but it just happens to be out of the timeline in a way that um, shows you so much more of that character. Mm-hmm. Um, but just kind of in a way that you don't even really realize that you're seeing um, a different phase of this character's life and experience, which is kind of right. cool. I think that, I mean, I don't know, but I do know people really received her character very well. Like, she was very well received and they really, really liked her. So it makes sense. And I don't know if that was the motivation that why they would flesh her out more, like, you know, develop her more as, uh, you know, more of the central focus of this movie and definitely the the fourth one. But um, she's definitely a fan favorite, I think. Yeah. I love her. And I think I've heard that people really enjoy her character as well. So Right. And it's always, you know, we talk about the random decisions that lead one actor to have a role instead of another and how that has, you know, like like Ethan Hawke being up for the role of Josh. And now you can't even imagine Ethan Hawke in that role because it's Patrick Wilson. That's Mm -hmm. who plays Josh. Um, But so you think about in the process of um, I did read that they were already writing this um, third movie when they were promoting the release of the second one. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they knew that they were coming into it. But you don't know, like, what the their other actors, the Josh and the um, Renee character, like Rose Byrne and Patrick Wilson, like, would they were they available for another role? Did they had they already communicated they were done with the movie series? Like, 
um, what made the, you know, right, Lee Winnell and, and everybody else involved in the project decide to use the Elise character as the thread going forward. Mm-hmm. Like, was it because she was the most popular? Was it because she was the most available? Was it a combination? Or was it like, did they feel like the Lambert story was done that they didn't, they'd already For kind now. of, yeah, kind yeah. of rung it out? Yeah. Um, and that the best because really when you think about it if you're talking about like a ghost spooky franchise you know you can't stick with one family forever right, but sticking yeah. with the psychic the little psychic exploratory team that's the way you make a hundred movies because they can go to a hundred different hauntings sort of like the conjuring exactly so the, following uh, the Elise Lorraine character mm-hmm. um, made sense in that way too yeah, um, yeah but yeah I just I love what they did with that character and then you know like you mentioned and like we'll talk about like kind of briefly um the fourth movie which is not actually called chapter four it's called insidious the last key mm-hmm. um gives us so it takes place the majority of it takes place after um the lambert haunting so down the road elise and Specs and tucker have already been you know working as this team for a long time but it also gives it actually begins and gives us a lot of scenes and footage of when elise was a young girl mm-hmm. like from when she was a, a very little girl and then also from when she was a teenager and we see like her discovery of her gift and how you know her mom supported it but her dad was afraid of it and beat her to try and manage it um and how her encounter with a demon actually led to her mom's death. So then she's stuck being raised by this dad that can't handle, um, you know, what she's able to do. And but the demon um, in uh, the last key, I think, rivals the man that can't breathe in terms of how frightening it looks. Definitely. Um, He's but insane. just, yeah, insane. for like He's creepy. Um, a, a little bit, just kind of the, more the, the overarching story of The Last Key is that Elise, adult Elise, you know, down the road, um, gets a call from the man who now lives in her, the what was her childhood home, mm-hmm. saying that he is being haunted, essentially. And so she goes back um, and she is meets for the first time her two basically adult nieces and the brother that she's been estranged from since she had to run away from home. His brother, her brother is Christian. Christian, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's played by Bruce, what's his name, who was... Um, Banner? Yes, oh. Bruce Banner. It's played by the Hulk. No, the guy that was in the original Willard and the X-Men movies and Bruce mm. something. I can't Dern? remember It's not name. Bruce Dern. Is it Bruce Dern? I don't know. He looks familiar, though. Yeah. I couldn't remember where um, Anyhow, so she comes back to help the this man um, who was living in her childhood home um, deal with a haunting only to discover that that man is actually um, like holding captive and torturing a young woman, um, just like she discovers Elise's own dad was holding captive and torturing women in that same house. Mm-hmm. And so there is a demonic element, but that demonic element is either feeding off of or influencing these live men to hurt live women. Yes. Um, and yeah. so she uncovers that crime, um, but that doesn't really solve the problem because the, the demon is still there. And then we also learn that one of her two nieces has the ability to travel as 
as well. So mm-hmm. that that trait um, had run through the family. And so in the end, the the demon is pursuing the family, takes one of her nieces captive, um, takes her captive. The other niece has to go into the further to help. Um, and in the end, you know, it's happily ever after she's reunited with Christian and she's got this family that she didn't have before. Um, but the the demon and I they call the key I think call him key face, I think was the name that they gave him, even though the keys are on his fingers. Mm-hmm. Um and actually the town that this is supposed to take place in in New Mexico, this fictional town is called Five Keys and this demon has a, um, a key on each finger. Um, but it's got, its face is just fucked up. Like it's got yeah. no lips and it's the He's whole like opening no of its mouth either. has been like stretched out kind mm-hmm. of. And the first point where it's really revealed um, when her niece is like, the niece that it eventually captures is like incapacitated and it's the same kind of thing where it's like way far out of frame, out of focus and it's like crawling and it's making that ice cracking crackling sound Mm -hmm. um as it approaches her um and comes for her and that that scene is so goddamn scary yeah and there are so many scenes in this movie that are so scary when she's first exploring the house before she finds out that the guy that's living there now is actually a you know a bad man um there's a lot of like night vision footage and her walking through and finding things. And there's moments where, you know, Specs and Tucker are looking at the video feed and they're seeing things on the video feed that Elise is not seeing. Or like, there's a woman right in front of you that they can see and Elise can't mm-hmm. see. So many scenes that are super, super scary in this yeah, one. Definitely. I mean, I, um, I, I think that those parts, like I'm, like you're saying, are really scary. I don't, there are parts of the movie where I'm like cheesy. Yes. But yeah. the part where this key demon, whatever, is putting a key in her throat in, so yeah, where she can't throat. scream yeah. for help was insane. Yeah. It's like one of your biggest fears, like where you can't scream for help. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's just it's, it's it's so frightening. And then when she gets lured in as a little girl and there's a child like, unlock me, mm-hmm. unlock the door. I can't reach you know, the key. I it's right there. The Only right you can there. do it. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, what the fuck? And then, open the door, Elise. I know. <laughs> and so, and then Elise figures out her dad is like a monster, but he didn't, yeah, he was inadvertently a monster. Like he was influenced it, yeah. by. And her, let me also comment that her they lived right next to a prison. Yeah. And her dad was a, <laughs> he was was a, a guard. Yeah. At he the was prison. in the prison guards and um, they lived there and she she lived there for a good many years with her family and her mom was you know was killed by this demon right and she lives with that fact that she released this demon out into the world and it it was her fault or she felt like it was all her fault yeah even if she was a little little girl the um the little kind of i don't know if you call it an easter egg Mm -hmm. because it wasn't really that hidden but um like you're saying the conversation you're describing when like very young elise first um and this is actually the occasion where her mom ends up being killed um is so her dad has beaten her for saying that she can you know hear dead people or whatever and locked her in the basement and that's when Keyface starts speaking to her in this child's voice and trying to get her to open the door and Keyface um, tells uh, her that he needs her to open all the doors but then later on in the movie while Elise and her nieces are trying to leave the further um, Elise opens this red door like thinking it's a way out and she sees Dalton on the mm-hmm. ground in his attic 
Um, And so it's kind of like a, um, you know, a a time portal, like a time jump or whatever, but she leaves the door open. And Mm -hmm. so the indication there is that in doing so, she she released the lipstick demon into the Lambert's life. Yeah. Yeah. Because you see in the first movie, he's kind of looking into something. Yeah. And he's hearing that crackling sound. Uh And it's because in that moment, like across time and space or whatever, you know, and the further is probably timeless or whatever, Mm -hmm. that um, Elise opened that door looking for a way out, but then she left it open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's fun. It's definitely an interesting, engaging, scary moment. Really Mm -hmm. fun kind of movie. It's, to me, it didn't seem nearly as frightening as the third movie, but it's still fun. It was good. Like, yeah. You know, it, I think it's a, if you love the franchise, it'd be something you definitely would want to watch, I think. Yeah. So I think in terms of scary, so obviously the, well, not obviously, most of the time, the first movie in a series is, you know, you got to respect it because it started, it started everything. Mm-hmm. But in terms of most scary, for me, it's between three and four. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the actual like frightening visual elements, the suspense, the scary scenes, the moments that they conjured up um, to create and build suspense. Like in the fourth one, there's that scene where she she goes into an air shaft and she keeps finding stacks of suitcases, and all yeah. these suitcases represent all of the women that have been like abducted and held captive by the men in this house. And so each suitcase has some different woman's personal belongings in it and they're all stacked hidden in this mm-hmm. thing but though in that moment like she keeps she's in a tunnel and she keeps opening a suitcase so that the rest of the tunnel is blocked and then she closes it and every time you think she's going to close the lid of the suitcase and key face is going to be right there but it is he isn't and he isn't and he isn't it keeps happening over and over and over again and so that like building of, of suspense and not giving you that release for such a long period of time and then you you've been waiting for that for so many times closing the suitcase he's Meanwhile, not there like a Right. And that happens, I don't know, like two, three, four times where she's closing the suitcase and you think he's going to be right there and it never happens. And then she opens the suitcase and he's in the suitcase. (laughs) And you're like, what the fuck? That's not what I was ready for. And so just that idea of like knowing how the viewer thinks, especially a horror fan, like knowing what horror fans have been conditioned to look for and to expect Yes. And playing that against us, using it against us Mm -hmm. and manipulating our expectations so that then when they give us something we're not expecting, it is so much scarier. Definitely. Not to mention the situation when she like a little Elise turns on the generator and the lights and then just this like sparks all in the basement. And I'm like, that's not safe. <laughs> that's not up to code. No. There's just like light sparks. And they're like, here, just, you know, you crank the generator and there's like live no, no electricity. Just, this is what we do when our dad locks just, us in the basement. Just sparking up the basement. And I was like, oh, God, what the hell? And then, yeah, it's it's so crazy. And yeah. Another thing I noticed in a piece of trivia was that in that basement, um, you see there's a hazmat suit and gas mask hanging, which is um, the mask that Elise uses later for her seances um, at the Lambert's house where she's wearing it while Spex is writing down what she's saying. Yeah, that's man. That was so fun. I I forgot. actually kind of forgot until I did a rewatch of the first movie Mm -hmm. that she used that. And I was like, oh, man, I remember how like you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, because it's such a like a wild element that they didn't 
didn't have to include. It could have just been a plain old seance. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, these horror movies, like you, you try to add something fresh and something that people haven't done before. Otherwise, it's just the same old, same old horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and something like that, it's like, it's kind of bizarre, but it's, it's extremely creepy, that visual of, of a gas creepy. mask. And she's, she's like... Wearing, you know what I said? Like she's wearing her chicos and her like oh, right, right. little <laughs> yeah. little salmon colored sweater, and mm-hmm. she's like, "Oh, putting my gas mask on." <laughs> and, and then it allows for like her whispered voice that you can't understand, and then you, then them to uh, decide what we do here and not here mm-hmm. based on what specs repeats, and then showing us visually what specs writes, and that's what I think is interesting is it's that like, help, help, yeah, help. It's um, like, oh it's PG thirteen. There's yeah. no swearing. But if you watch it, what Specs writes, the demon is cursing at Elise and yeah. Specs is writing it down. But he scribbles it in a manner where no curse word is actually fully written out because he's mm-hmm. supposed to be writing it really, really fast. Yeah. And so when you think about what they're doing for ratings and everything, it's yeah. like they didn't say any curse Just words. F and scribbles. Right. Like an F. F and it, like he, I think it B says word. it calls her a bitch. It calls her. Um, it says something, it uses a couple of expletives in that, in the written part that Specs is writing, but it, he scribbles it in such a way that you don't actually see the entire word. I'm like, you clever you bastards. Just, you just infer. You infer yeah. the naughty words. The bad words from the lipstick demon. Yeah, that lipstick demon is oh. a potty mouth. Oh, yeah, he's kind of... You know, and, and for someone who loves Tiny Tim so much, you wouldn't think that. Yeah, you would, would think he'd have a, a, a purity about him. Tiptoe. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't have much more to say, except I love the series. Yeah. I, I, it's a great series. Yeah, and I'm, so I am looking forward to the fifth one that does come out this summer. I <sighs> And while I said in the last time, I'm super, super excited that they got so much of the original cast back. I can't say that I'm really I don't have very high expectations for it I don't Uh, feel like it's gonna be as good as these these earlier ones I think for fans of the franchise it's going to be enjoyable because you're going to see these characters that you care about and you've watched many times and they're real to us and so it's always good to see you know what continues to happen to them to see their story continue to be told Mm -hmm. but I cannot fathom especially after seeing the trailer the trailer just didn't look very scary yeah I don't know I mean I'll watch it. We'll oh, see. absolutely. And maybe I'll be yeah. completely wrong. Maybe it'll yeah. be the scariest one out of all of them. Um, Honestly, when I think back, when I was going to see the third one, I had very little hope. That well, probably because, I mean, you were disappointed by the second one. Right. And so you would think that they would continue like, okay. on that trajectory. Right. So when I saw the third one, I was like, oh, my gosh, that was so good. It scared the crap out of me. And I'm, I hope it'll be fun. Yeah. And I, I, think, we'll I think I'll love it. I just don't think it's going to be as scary. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah, we certainly we'll will. You and I will probably see together. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, great discussion. And um, I mean, we didn't. I'm, I'm glad we got to like talk about these movies because I've been wanting to talk about them for, for a sure. while. So but we knew we needed enough time. And yeah. th- as far as the parent thing goes, the same, you know, we said it repeatedly the summer that we spent on con- the Conjuring universe. And we said it in the last episode with Insidious. These movies, they are not inappropriate for young people. They are PG-13. They don't have any inappropriate material in them, but they are scary as hell. Yeah. So I, I they're sure. okay for a young viewer who has seen a lot of scary stuff right. or doesn't yeah. scare easily. Yeah. Um, they're not I sh- I inappropriate. I showed Charlotte the first like half and she jumped a lot. She's like, oh, 
And um, I was like, we can turn it off. And she's like, no, no, I want to see what happens. Yeah, I want more. So then, but then she like asked to turn it off. She's like, well, I'm going to go take a shower and get ready. I'm going to go so hold my head under I'm going to go disassociate from this. <laughs> so uh, I was like, all right, you know. So I'm so going to go listen to my Tiny Tim records. Tiny and, uh, Tim. <laughs> so if she wants to watch the rest later, fine. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's pretty intense even for a PG-13. Yeah. And that's what, you know, because it doesn't, it doesn't rely on any of the blood or gore or violence or anything to scare you. It relies on what you the worst things you could yeah. possibly imagine. Right. It really manipulates mm-hmm. those, those think natural things that scare every, every kid. And, you know, yeah. usually still scares their adult version as well. I have to say that scene is iconic where Elise walks in and she just starts whispering to Specs and she's like, wi- like describing, describing the demon the yeah. that she's seeing. And she's like, okay, you're like, Oh my God, what the fuck is up there? And, you just hear crackling and you see what he's drawn and you're like, yeah. oh shit. But like before that, like Renee like can't take it anymore and flips the light switch on and it cuts to the corner and there's nothing there. Yeah. 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 So dramatic. So, scary. so good. Yeah. So yeah, for, for your kids, um, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about inappropriate material, but they, it is very, very scary. Yeah. Yeah. So not for the lights, no. lighthearted, no. you know, so, um. Not for the dabblers. No, no, no. Um, Triflers need not apply. <laughs> <Triflers as laughs> Thank you, MFM. My, um, my favorite murderer, one of our faves. Um, so before we uh, end this, we need, need to discuss our summer project. It, summer is, I can't believe, it's almost, almost here. Almost here. And so far, this will be our third summer um, since we started this podcast. The yeah. first year we did The Conjuring Universe as our summer project, which ended up being quite ambitious. It was insane. There were a lot of movies in The Conjuring Universe, but we managed to bang them all out. Mm-hmm. Um, last summer was our found footage theme. Which, which was so fun. That was so fun. Um, it allowed us to cast like kind of a wide net of types of movies just using that found footage concept um, mm-hmm. so that was really great and we got to hit some some heavy hitters and then some more obscure ones um, but some really really great movies yeah, um, yeah so this summer our theme is secluded settings secluded settings like in the woods or yeah in a Vatican, no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, any any <laughs> setting where the the fear is heightened by your lack of human connection, you're all your alone. isolation. Yeah, unfortunately, we can't do The Shining. That's already been done. That's already been done, and yeah. we already did Hush. Yeah, we've already done a couple of movies that would naturally fall into this category, but there are others. There are others to work on, and on that to that end, we would invite. Uh, any of our listeners, if you if this theme secluded settings, you immediately went, oh, my God, like this movie. And you want to email us with a title. We are still taking suggestions yeah. to cover this summer. Email, I'm not scared. You're scared at gmail.com. gmail.com. So but the first movie we have chosen, which is Cabin in the Woods. Yes. Which is such a fun one. Such a fun it. one. This is a, a very one of those that is a very balanced between the horror and the humor. Yeah. Very heavy on the humor, super enjoyable, mm-hmm. and you, Chris Hemsworth is something I will never kick out of my viewing experience. 
It's fun. It's really good. <laughs> I was like, I leave love, it at that. I She's know. like, I'm a Bradley Whitford guy, but I am. I, I love a I good. Know. I love I somebody who makes me laugh. Yeah. No, and it's it's a great cast all around, and it's a great yeah. story. It's very original. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Cabin in the Woods, and what we said, it came out in 2011. Yes. Um, yeah. If you're if you're trying to check locate it, out. it, check it out it's before so funny our conversation. And good and scary, and I love it so much. So um, great discussion as always, and we will. Talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.